Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we're offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 44, our preview of the Parish Nash and Naples Summit conferences, plus from the vault, a section from our 2021 Paris Nash Review episode. Before we start, I would be remiss not to express condolences and sadness over the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Like nine-tenths of the world population, she was the British monarch from the day I was born until now, and always felt to me like a source of stability and good measure in a rapidly, chaotically transformed world. Now she belongs to the ages, where I suspect history will treat her with kindness and respect, and our friends in the UK and the Commonwealth and everyone in the world who loved and respected her will have her memory with us. And on to discuss the conversation. This conversation focuses on what the four panelists, Yorn, Louise, Rachel Zayas, and I, each consider the most intriguing presentation of the upcoming Paris Nash Conference. Rachel starts by pointing to a talk the first morning in session two with a provocative title, Controversy, Are HIV Patients More at Risk of Nash? She suggests the answer is yes, based on previous presentation she's seen, and then asks whether this discussion is a step in patient stratification, and therefore towards what she describes as not personalized, but intentional medicine, thinking about what makes each patient different before deciding how to proceed. Yorn goes on to discuss some of the issues that make HIV patients an interesting case, and then stays in session two to highlight a Sorokalsi's presentation titled Type 2 Diabetes Populations with Varying Outcome Profiles. He goes on to note that the third paper in the session from our friend and sometime guest Chris Cowdley has real value as well. Louise points to a few talks that attract her, one in session one, another in session five, that address liver in a broader metabolic context. And I then stay in session five to focus on two talks that interest me, Roy Sabo's presentation on adaptive trial design and FDA's Frank and Nanny discussing combination agents. From there, the group shifts to look at global aspects of the meeting, along with elements that focus on guidelines of clinical care pathways, including a talk during the wrap-up session from Yorin himself. Paris Nash provides some of the strongest scientific content found in any conference, coupled with an innovative look at fatty liver disease in the context of world health. This conversation touches on what might emerge as some of the high points of that meeting. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. I'd like to start by asking each of the four of us one specific thing going on in this meeting that we're particularly excited to get to hear, see, learn. Again, brave one, go first. Rachel Zayas. So one one thing that stuck out on the programming to me is a talk called Controversy, Are HIV-Infected Patients More at Risk of NASH? And this was a topic of discussion in some previous conferences at ILC. And I found this really interesting because um, previously it was found that through analyses using FAST, which is fiber scan, liver stiffness measurements, CAP uh, plus AST, in a cohort of about 1,500 patients, the prevalence of NAFLD, NASH, and then fibrosis was higher in HIV patients compared to the general population. And this is really interesting for various reasons. So it alludes to the idea that we need to do a better job of patient stratification. And it begs the question, are there different biomarkers? Are there different measurements that need to be correlated to each of these patients? So I don't think of it as personalized medicine, but rather more intentional. So I think the field is moving in that direction. I'm really interested to see the highlights of this talk. So Rachel, I love your distinction between personalized and intentional medicine. I think that's a realistic way to frame 
became what a lot of people overpromised. I think that's great. Yeah, because I think that there's some negative connotation with personalized medicine because then it's just one out of seven or eight billion. It, it, it's not one. It's a group of patients that we've overlooked, and not not just with with HIV patients, but being very intentional with stratification and determining if the biomarkers have a similar clinical efficacy between these patients. So it seems to be this narrative is moving in, in that direction. And I'm excited to see this. Jörn Schattenberg. There's some interesting aspects, if I cut in, Roger, to HIV populations. Typically, they're under continued medical care uh, at specialized centers. So they show up for their appointments repeatedly. And there's a lot of opportunity to see them and follow them more closely than, let's say, a patient that's not receiving HIV medicine and, and like a NASH patient. So I think the follow-up is much more complete and probably the phenotyping too. We've gathered some information ourselves. There's some risk factors that accumulate in those patients. I mean, it used to be the drugs, HIV itself is steatotic. And interesting to me is always typically it's a, it's a male overrepresentation in HIV cohorts. And of course, they're younger. On the other hand, there's a big group that really is very focused on fitness and physical expression and such. I'm always struck by the fact that they accumulate metabolic risk factors to the same extent as it does to general population. And I, and I do like those. And we've actually published some data that reflects that. And, and just to stay in that session, because the whole session, that's uh, session two uh, in, in the program is called clinical aspect. And I think there are two more exciting talks, um, Cyril Cossey discussing uh, type 2 diabetes subpopulations and the endocrinology literature. There's certain, based on the insulin resistance, there are subclassifications of patients with type 2 diabetes that develop different outcomes. So I'll be very excited to see if she sticks to that. There are certain uh, patients get more cardiovascular, more renal or more liver endpoints. It will be interesting to see if she follows that distinction of we can learn something about which type 2 diabetes patient is more severely liver diseased. And then, of course, Chris Cowdley, who has a tremendous oversight in the field and has been around for a long time to really give a great talk on, on, on all these cohort studies and placebo arms, natural history and outcomes. So I think session two, clearly, if you're a clinician, is something to be excited for. Given that that's the same session that Rachel pointed out, the third paper being the HIV, that feels like a significantly can't-miss session for everyone. Okay, so Louise, why don't you pick one next and then I will, and then we'll go back through the program. Louise Campbell. I think it's the first day and the first morning is key. I quite like the idea of session one. I love the HIV one, but I'm certainly not going to comment on that now um, thing. But um, Maud was one of my consultants at Imperial, so I have a lovely interest to watch some of the work coming out of that team. So that's fantastic. But I was looking at the integration of liver under cardiometabolic health. Zenez Zenand um, from France in the aspect that, as we know, that the majority of people with poor liver health won't get liver disease. The, mo the majority of those with NAFL don't get NASH. So who do we take? Do we actually look at the cardiometabolic or diabetes? I think there's a session later on in the meeting on endocrine as well. But I think that coupled with session five on the following day, which is NASH Pass, which is a three years of data and experiences in metabolic disease-focused patient registry and biobank supporting biomarker and drug development research with Marcus Hompesh um, from the USA. So I think those two interested me, obviously, because we're now moving more cardiometabolically. And I'd like to see some of the data and the experiences that those patients have within that cohort and how it can support. That's where we're going to find the breadth and depth of patients for future NASH studies is in that cardiometabolic or metabolic profiling. If we want to move the industry forward quicker, we need to recruit large numbers to clinical trials over the next three to five years, probably. And that's where I was looking for because they interested me in the sessions. So maybe this is a recency effect and that I edit all our episodes in 
things like that. But on Monday, most recent episode, Mazen Nuruddin used a phrase I'd not heard before to describe the future of Nash therapy. He described it as combo-combo, by which he meant we'll be using combination NITs to figure out what's going on and then combination drugs to treat it. So I was intrigued to take a look at the hour from 2.30 to 3.30 on Friday, which starts with a 30-minute talk from Arun Sanyal about the current status and future directions of NIT-based drug development and clinical management, which is, I perceive, going to be a combo discussion, virtually has to be. And then followed by Frank Anania from the FDA talking about how to approach combination therapies in NASH. And one of the things that emerged from our discussion on Monday was about the importance of dosing and benefits of lower dosing when you get to combination therapy. That's followed by a 15-minute talk from Roy Sabo in the U.S. about uh, response adaptive trial design to pick the appropriate dose. So I kind of felt like you take that hour, and if you listen to everything we were talking about on Monday, that hour points to a lot of where we think, where where that episode would suggest the future goes in a very practical commercial kind of way. There are a couple of things that scientifically intrigued me as well, but we'll just stop there for the moment. Comments or thoughts about that one or that hour? Yeah, in that one, and what you said, you know, some of the aspects reminded me of a discussion we had with Stephen Harrison here the other day, uh, the response adaptive trial design to pick the best dose. But it'd be very interesting to also pick the best qualifying biomarker to increase your patient recruitment and decrease screen failure. So I think when you're setting up your clinical trial, you should consider to have an NIT package that you think will select and decrease your screen failure rate. And you should be able to maybe use that adaptively and based on the enrollment in your clinical trial, because this might might be influenced by how the investigators perceive your drug and which patients they screen. So I think that would be something uh, also, I'm not sure that's covered here, but it kind of goes down the same pipeline of the discussion that we had. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's worth noting in that context that this is the same day that Madrigal put out its press release on the outcome-based resmeterom trial, which will have no biopsies in it and will be driven by outcomes on the one end and NITs on the other end. So all these things start to circle towards a specific and very exciting, I think, Kind of future. What I did like about the whole program actually is the fact that it is very metabolic and multi-organ focused. It is not just one organ-centric NASH program, which is a beautiful thing. As we move more into a metabolic consideration, I, I suppose, with the guidelines um, looking at di- type 2 diabetes and other diseases. So that's what I'm encouraged to see. And I think that's where we're heading, is this more multi-system coordination coordinated approach. And some of the speakers I've never heard of, which is always great to see, because it's always nice to hear new people come in that certainly I've not been aware of, and I'm not aware of a lot of them, but certainly getting other people's opinions. And um, there's a, a few patients there. There's a beautiful session at the end of the meeting with experiences from around the world, from South Africa, from other areas. So that'll be exciting to listen to. Echo that, Louise. And I think we should congratulate Lauren Safarti and Arun Sunyal for putting this together. I always find it's a very thought, deliberate program with a lot of different topics that are being expressed in it. And as such, it's worth to stay for the full meeting. Yes, I couldn't agree more. In fact, um, I'm also with Louise. I love the idea that at the end of basically two days of discussion from a variety of different perspectives, some scientific, some very patient-focused and practical, that what we wind up with is advocates and visionaries from different parts of the world answering the question, here's what all this means in the context of where we are. You and I kind of found 
that in the spirit of the Barcelona meeting to focus on pathways, the practicalities of pathways, and the ways that those implications will vary from region to region. So I, I, I loved that as a close for it. I agree. And maybe uh, the Barcelona meeting has inspired them. But for sure, this is one very important way to respect when moving forward the different views. And they've invited me to give the European view as, as much as I, I can give that. Is gonna, the answer is going to be different in different countries. And as such, I'm going to be very excited to hear, you know, what's the South African voice? What's the Asian voice, the Latin American voice there? And, and I think we can learn from each other. I mean, there's always specificities to the specific health systems and limitations and, and access, some inequalities. But at a broader sense, we're, we're all trying to overcome them. And I think that last session will highlight uh, some of the tools to, to do so. I think the biggest thing that differentiates this meeting for me from Barcelona is the fact that that was pathway focused and how do we develop pathways and there was a lot of discussion in the room. There's no pathway discussions on this meeting in that sense. Neither are there any allied health or nursing at the table. So again, that would be a weakness for me because I think there is a view from our side and colleagues from across the allied health spectrum into this, but it is more focused on industry and clinical trials and research and I can understand why there is no allied health in there or nutrition from those aspects. Although that said, I was delighted that the view from the U.S. coming right before Yorn is going to come from Jeff McIntyre from GLI, who in fact has strong policy chops, worked in the Obama White House at one point, patient advocacy chops, and, and some pretty good science skills, and is articulate and fast on his feet, and I'm a big fan, but not a physician. So not allied health professional, notedly, but not a physician or researcher perspective necessarily either, which I think is a good thing. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week to review the Paris Nash meeting. Once more, before we go, condolences to the UK, the Commonwealth, and everyone else around the world who considered Elizabeth your queen. This truly was a loss for the entire world and for the ages. Hopefully, next week will be less tumultuous, easier to deal with. In the meantime, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. <laughs>